Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. It is Huge Hour. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Adam Silver, Commissioner of the NBA. In a half hour live on the Goodyear Hotline on the anniversary of the day that he personally made the pandemic feel real for almost all of us in America. Fascinating story. He told it a little bit in the New York Times today. And we will talk about it live in a half hour. Adam Silver again with me here on ESPN Radio. We'll talk about that and much more with the commissioner of the NBA. I have a lot I'm trying to get to here, but I have one very quick announcement to make. Bubba, give me some music. I would like to wish a very happy birthday to my favorite person in the world. My wife Stacy's birthday is today. I will always remember the world of sports shut down on March 11th because I will always remember that it happened on my wife's birthday. We had gone out for a little early dinner, as I told you before, and today is her birthday. And as I have said many times, and I'll say this, people sometimes make fun of me for how much I talk about my wife. And here's the way I look at it. Mm. If you're going to make fun of me for anything, that seems like a pretty benign thing, (laughs) right? Like I, I, I can live with that. So um, what I've said about her before, and I'll say it again, is the best thing any person can do for you in life is to believe in you in the times when you don't believe in yourself. Find yourself someone who does that. That's the key to life. Um, That's the key to a good relationship is someone who doesn't stop believing in you at the times when you yourself have some question. So she'd been doing that for 25 years and change, 23 years of marriage, and we will do a little celebrating this weekend. A very happy birthday, sweetie, and I will see you a little bit later. Now, let's get to the football news. Salary cap space in the NFL has never been more valuable than it is right this minute because of a blip. Some teams will be disproportionately helped by this blip. Salary cap has been rising, rising, rising steadily in the NFL There's an expression in business that nothing grows all the way to the sky, but the NFL does. The NFL salary cap is just going to keep going up and up and up as revenues go up. And starting next year, when some of the new TV deals you've been reading about start to kick in, those are going to happen somewhere along the line here soon. I don't know exactly what they'll be, but at some point soon here, they're going to happen. And the salary cap is going to explode. So this is really like a one-year thing caused by this extraordinary circumstance of the pandemic. And what's going to happen as a result of it, as the salary cap dips 8%, this is going to make a huge difference for the teams that have cap space this year. Because there are a bunch of them that don't. And you heard Christine Lisi just say it in, in the Sports Center there. The Chiefs have cut Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. They're two starting tackles. And, and you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see teams cutting players This week, it's going to happen today and tomorrow and working all the way through to the end of the league year, which is next Tuesday into Wednesday. Hembo, give me the two or three teams that are in the worst shape, the worst salary cap shape. The Rams are $31 million over. It's bad. The Saints are $30 million over. And the Eagles are $28 million over. Okay, so those are the teams (coughs) Excuse me, that aren't signing anybody. They're cutting people. they got to cut people. We're sitting here talking about whether the Saints can get Russell Wilson. Before they do that, they got to keep cutting people. They cut... Yesterday, who they cut? Emmanuel Sanders and Quan Alexander. And Janoris Jenkins. Janoris Jenkins. So they've already begun. So the Saints, the Eagles, the Rams, those are teams on the wrong side of the line. Who are the teams on the right side of the line? The Jaguars have $74 million to spend. Wow. The Colts it, have 72 Yeah. The Jets have 70 Will you say that again? The Jets have $70 million in cap space. Right. One more time. <laughs> the Patriots have 58 No, no, no. <laughs> that was not what I meant. Um, so that, those are the teams that have the money to spend. This is your chance. 
Like this is a time when you are buying when the buying is good. It's a, it's a buyer's market. And all these players out there, I feel bad for them. Like this is just the worst possible situation. It, again, many people have suffered far worse from the pandemic. But, you know, imagine you're a football player and this is your livelihood and, and you're a great player and this would never have happened to you. But all of a sudden, because of this dip in the salary cap, I did find myself wondering if they couldn't have figured out a way to mm. spread that out. You know, like they will spread out contracts in the NFL. Could they have spread out this dip in the salary cap or just kind of kicked it forward to future years? The owners don't do that. <laughs> they just don't do that. They just take the money. They, just, the owners are unbelievable <laughs> in the NFL. But anyway, that's what's going to happen to keep a close eye on all of this. That's one of the two big stories in the NFL. The other one is Russell Wilson. If you were watching Get Up this morning or if you were listening at the beginning of this radio show, you heard Diana Rossini, who's an outstanding insider, as plugged in as anybody. And she told us in no uncertain terms, this thing is real. Russell Wilson getting traded could really definitively could happen. And the likeliest place, I believe, is the Bears. The Bears, I believe, because of the desperation that they feel, based not on 101 years of subpar quarterback play, but based on the maybe six or eight weeks of leash that their coach and their general manager have this season before they are basically, professionally speaking, dead men walking, they need to go out there and get a quarterback. And between, between Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson, I believe the Bears are the team that should be and will be the most aggressive in their pursuit. So let's see. And I wonder if Russell Wilson, there's a lot of talk. Why is he doing this? Why is he disgruntled? They've done so much for him. I think Dominique Foxworth had it right the other day on our TV show. When Dominique said, I think Russell feels passed over. Like the league owned is, it belongs to the great quarterbacks. And the generation of great quarterbacks, Brady, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, onto Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli, those guys aged out. And I think Russell viewed himself as the guy who was going to become the face of the league next. And he just got skipped. It just went right to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen and all these young guys. And I think Russell Wilson is sitting there going, how about me? And maybe if he didn't play in Seattle, maybe if he didn't play for a coach who believes in running the ball in defense, maybe he'd be the face of the league. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be that. So it could be as simple as that as to why he wants to get out. By the way, I see people proposing a trade of Deshaun for Kyler Murray. Did you see that? Yeah. People are talking about that. My thought? Kyler Murray getting traded to Houston would be the best thing that ever happened to the Oakland A's. <laughs> if Kyler Murray got traded to Houston, I believe he would be he would be leading off and playing center field. What, what position did he play? Center field, and center he'd probably field. become immediately baseball's most popular player. He, he would become baseball's best known and most popular player. That's, I believe, what would happen if he got traded to Houston. <laughs> Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. I'll take a quick break here. The green list is outstanding today. We'll do that next, and then don't miss the commission. Adam Silver live on the way on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space 
to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Greeny, the podcast. I'm Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance, the commissioner of the NBA, 15 minutes away. Adam Silver on the Goodyear Hotline. He'll join me momentarily. Uh, We also have today's Green List, which is inspired by the anniversary that today marks, and that is just a moment away. I will remind you also, of course, Selection Sunday's around the corner. We're working our way through the end of the college basketball season, and the Wendy's Wooden Watch is red hot. You can go to ESPN.com, search Wooden Watch. For the list of the Wooden Award late season 15 nominees, top 15 nominees to watch, you can see Baylor's Jared Butler today. Baylor taking on K-State in the Big 12. It's 2.30 Eastern on ESPN. The John R. Wooden Award is presented by Wendy's. The list is what determines who matters in this business. The Green List. A very special edition of The Green List today. The staff worked real hard on this, and we're awfully proud of it, with today being the anniversary of the day that the, the world shut down because of the coronavirus pandemic and the role that basketball clearly played in that. We have the top five moments from sports that you will never forget where you were when they happened. Number five. Shots were fired, apparently at President Reagan, as he was coming out of the Washington Hilton Hotel this afternoon. The president was not hit. He was pushed into his limousine and immediately taken away to safety. However, three persons were hit. We believe they are two Secret Service agents and the president's press secretary, James Brady. James Brady of the Brady Bill. That was ABC News coverage March 30th of 1981 when President Reagan was shot on the day of the college basketball national championship game. And that was such, if you're not old enough to remember, that was such a part of the narrative of that day. Would the game be played that night? And ultimately they decided to play it and Indiana beat North Carolina 63-50 to in the championship game. That was the Isaiah Thomas team when we had Isaiah on recently. He talked about that day and being in the hotel and watching the news coverage of the president being shot and the way that Coach Bob Knight, the legendary coach, had his team ready to play that night despite the enormity of the world events. Again, President Reagan shot on that day. The championship game played that night. That's number five on the list of the moments in sports you will never forget. Number four. Because of... Uh the HIV virus that I have attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers. That was Magic Johnson on November 7th, 1991, announcing his retirement, his extraordinarily premature retirement from the NBA because of HIV. And that was a day before social media, long before social media. But in the time before that announcement was made, I remember word starting to circulate. It was starting to spread. You would hear it on radio stations. That was the most immediate source of news we had then. And word came out that that's what he was going to announce, and he did. And I was covering sports at the time, and I distinctly remember that was at a time when HIV was a death sentence. And thank God, because of the millions of dollars that have been raised and the genius of the, of the, of the scientists 
who have put that money to good use. That is no longer the case. And Magic, of course, is still very much with us and healthy and wonderful. But at that time, I remember distinctly my first thought when I heard that story was, oh, my God, Magic Johnson is going to die. And that's the way I think everybody felt that day. Again, thank God it's not what wound up happening. But I remember going to Chicago Stadium that night to cover a Bulls game, and they just put up on the screen in the arena, we love you, Magic. And the entire crowd just began a spontaneous standing ovation. And it is one of only two times I ever applauded during a game I was covered or was covering. There were, there's a rule about no cheering in the press box, one of only two times I ever clapped in a press box. And I think everyone did that night in honor of Magic Johnson, whom we were all sure we would lose. That was November 7th, 1991. Moments you will never forget where you were from the world of sports. Number three. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City. The most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles. Shot twice in the back. Rushed to Roosevelt Hospital dead on arrival. I still get chills. I mean, to this day, I get chills hearing Howard Cosell say that on Monday Night Football, and I still remember it. December 8th of 1980, I was 13 years old in eighth grade, and I was watching the game on Monday Night Football when that announcement was made by Cosell. It was Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football who told the world that John Lennon was dead. And I remember going to school the next day and teachers crying in the hallways and in classrooms over the death of one of the great artists that the world has ever known. And it was from the world of sports. It was on Monday Night Football that we all heard the news. Uh, You'll remember the next one. Number two. We are looking at live pictures of Interstate 5 in Los Angeles. We believe that that white vehicle, which is being trailed by a phalanx of California Highway Patrol cars and helicopters, belongs to Al Cowlings, who disappeared with O.J. Simpson earlier today, shortly after Mr. Simpson was informed that he was going to be formally charged with the murder of his wife and the young man who was with her at the time. It is the latest bizarre development in a string of bizarre and shocking developments that have been going on all day long. Tom Brokaw with the announcement that uh, of the O.J. Chase and A.C. Cowlings and that white Ford Bronco driving up the freeway in a day that no one will ever forget. And, of course, juxtapose against that the NBA Finals that night. Uh, with the Knicks and the Rockets playing in the finals and the world watching that on a split screen on NBC. And what I always remember about that day also was that was the day of the opening ceremonies of the World Cup, which were in the United States. They were in Chicago when I covered them. I went to Soldier Field and I covered the opening ceremonies of the World Cup on that morning. And then I went home and like everybody else, I watched O.J. Simpson driving on that freeway for the rest of the day. But number one. Number one. Advanced due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. That was one year ago tonight, March 11th, 2020. The announcement being made in Oklahoma City by the public address announcer that that game that night between the Thunder and the Jazz was being postponed. It was because Rudy Gobert had tested positive for something called the coronavirus, something that none of us knew was going to change the world as we know it forever. And that was the night that it began. That was the night the NBA made the pandemic feel real for millions of people in this country and around the world. That's our green list for today. And the man who made the decision 
to cancel that game, to postpone that game, and to put the season on hold and has made a million decisions ever since. On the one-year anniversary of it, will join me live next. Don't miss Adam Silver live here in a moment on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. Today, the NBA will hold a conference call to discuss the possibility of moving games or playing them without fans. This is a really serious problem. We would recommend that there not be large crowds. I think we saw our last college basketball game played tonight. It's a terrible situation. Scary. The Thunder's head medical doctor came sprinting out onto the court. Due to unforeseen circumstances, the game tonight has been postponed. This astounding and unprecedented story continues to evolve. Rudy Gobert has tested positive for the coronavirus. The NBA is suspending the season. This is crazy. This can't be true. What I felt before the game was this touch of anxiety. What I felt in the aftermath of that game was the beginning of fear. To our audience, stay safe, take care of each other. We get through this together. What a long, strange year it has been for us all. I am Greeny, this is ESPN Radio, and it is my delight to welcome now the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, who has done in so many ways, such an extraordinary job of navigating his league through these unprecedented and and candidly at times almost impossible times, and who made the decision a year ago tonight that for so many people made this pandemic feel real. And so I appreciate the time very much, Commissioner. Good morning, and and I hope that you're doing well. Yeah, I am. Good morning, Mike. So, So let's start there. What when you look back on that night now, a year removed, and we are, of course, still living in it to a very large degree, but what do you remember most vividly about that day and that night? Well, was it interesting? You just played that clip of, of Dr. Fauci. I remember we, we had been following his comments um, for several days before March 11th, and even in that testimony that he gave that day, it, it, he was actually answering a question at a House Oversight Committee. He, it was the first time, as far as I know, that he had recommended 
not of course that we shut down, but that we not play in front of what he said was large crowds. And I think it was the, that day on March 11th, the earlier in the day before we made a decision to shut down, we had had a board meeting um, with all of our owners. And at that point, we thought it would be a market by market issue. There's Santa Clara County, for example, in California had made a decision where the Sharks play that they needed to play without fans. We saw that coming to San Francisco. But at that point, we thought we were going to continue to operate with reduced number of, of fans in our arenas, essentially what Dr. Fauci was recommending and what our experts were recommending. And so we didn't, I think, have a sense of the larger magnitude. And I'll just add that because we have a large business in China, we'd lived through SARS and H1N1. And I think like most Americans, our sense was this would not hit the United States the way it was hitting Asia. And that it, we were only beginning to get that, that feeling in, in, in early March that maybe this was going to be different than those other viruses and would affect us in, different, in, 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 in other ways. But even I remember the day after March 11th, when I was asked what this meant in terms of, of us taking a pause in the season, in my mind, it seemed like something that would last for 30 days. Not that we would, of course, be having these conversations a, a year later. And my God, that over a half a million Americans would be dead from this disease. It's, it's impossible to believe in its own way still. I, I read the article or the interview that you gave to The Times, which was fascinating about how this was a decision you had to make sitting in your car. I, I'd love you to tell that story to the audience here that hasn't necessarily read it. Sure. So, um, we had, as I mentioned, we had had a board meeting that day on March 11th to discuss with all our teams um, what they were hearing in their communities, what their public health officials were telling them, what ordinances we thought were going to be put in place um, so that we could start making adjustments. And also, you could see from those images that you ran that we had also changed some of the protocols around the cleanliness in our arenas, scrubbing things down, Clorox wipes, etc., you know, pure you know, hand, hand sanitizing stations, all of that had begun to be put in place. But there, there wasn't a sense on that afternoon that we were about to shut down our season. Meanwhile, because of the experience we had had in China, um, shutting down our offices in late January, we were increasingly spending time, time thinking about how this wasn't even a pandemic until March 11th, but how this epidemic could impact the league. And one of the things we had done is put in place in each market a relationship with a local lab. So to the extent we had players that were symptomatic and what we understood to be flu-like symptoms, we would not only be testing them for the flu, but we would be testing them for, I think, what people were calling a coronavirus at the time. Of course, Rudy Gobert was one of those players who was tested. Incidentally, he was not the first player who, who was tested for um, COVID. He was the first player that tested positive. And we knew that we had an outstanding um, lab test with him on March 11th, but we had no reason to believe he was going to be positive any more so than any of the other players before him that had been tested. But that, you know, the, the Oklahoma, it, it was in the Utah Jazz were in Oklahoma City. They were under the jurisdiction of the Oklahoma um, City Health Commissioner. They certainly understood that there was going to be a game that night um, seven o'clock local time, Rudy had already been separated from his team, but they knew, you know, I don't think I understood the term contact tracing then, but they knew he had had contact with his teammates. And so when they got that test result back, you know, literally 15 minutes or so before the game, they urgently called the team. Um, the team then called the league office and said, 
what should we do? Now, Rudy Gobert would, had not stepped foot in the arena. He was in the hotel. He had been separated from them. And so we were, as the New York Times pointed out, I was on my way home from work. I, I, I live in New York City. I work in New York City. So it wasn't that long a ride. So I got a call from uh, the general counsel of the NBA said, we've just gotten this test result. And I ended up um, sitting in front of my apartment. Um, truth be told, the New York Times um, had a little sketch of me in the front seat. I was I was actually in the back seat. But um, my, my, my little daughter said, Daddy, were you driving and texting? Because there's a sort of a little... <laughs> holding my phone up with the steering wheel there. But but anyway, I uh, so I ended up sitting in my car um, for a while, probably, you know, at least 15, 20 minutes while I was on the phone with the um, general manager, Sam Presti of the Oklahoma City Thunder, um, the team owner, Clay Bennett. And, you know, we quickly made the decision that we were going to shut down that game. First and foremost, now there were 19,000 people or so in the building. We didn't want to panic them. Again, very little was known about this virus. I think people understandably, understandably feared that, well, if one person has it in the buildings, that means it can quickly spread to everyone else in the building. So, you know, we, we discussed what the PA copy should be so that we don't overly alarm people. People proceed, you know, without, you know, you know, rushing out and, and causing other injuries. So we took care of that issue. And then but then the issue became now what happens to the two teams, because we had to, we, we knew from the public health authorities, we had to test the rest of the Utah Jazz because Rudy had had contact with his teammates, you know. Uh, um, so, so that was step one. That was, again, there wasn't private testing for COVID then. Everything was through, you know, state labs, through university labs. So those players ended up being held um, in, in the locker room. You know, I, I, so I was on hour later in New York time, but essentially till midnight New York time, those players were still in the locker room um, waiting to get tested. You know, all of this was so new. Um, Chris Paul, who was, on the, was, was then on Oklahoma City Thunder as the president of the Players Association. So he was on the phone with me constantly at night saying, do you realize what's going on? These players are still being held in the locker room. Where are they going to go once they leave the locker room? Because the issue wasn't clear whether it was appropriate for them to get on a plane, to the extent someone might be positive. So I was going back and forth with um, Sam Presti and others in Oklahoma City, finding accommodations for that team that night because it was clear they were going to need to spend the night there. Then, as all this was going on, we had one game that hadn't begun yet, and that was the, the uh, New Orleans was playing in Sacramento. People were already in that arena. Um, I then was on the phone with the owner of the Sacramento Kings, Vivek Ranadive. I mean, they, they, again, people, it didn't seem automatic that that game shouldn't go forward since... Nothing else had been canceled at that point. But then if, if to the extent there was any doubt what to do, it then turned out that one of the officials who was working that game that night had worked um, a Utah Jazz game earlier in the week. Again, our own form of contact tracing. So we decided that to err on the side of caution. We absolutely now need to cancel that game. And then, you know, it, it became apparent to me that we were not equipped to move forward as a league. We didn't understand what was happening. We didn't understand what protocols we need to be put need to be put in place. Again, as I said earlier, I wasn't imagining then that where we would be, you know, a year later, let, let alone a, a month later, it seemed that we were just pausing and then we would reset. But later that evening, then we made the decision that we were going to stop the season and, and you know, pause and, or, or take this hiatus and then reconvene and figure out. But then things quickly spiraled, not just um, in sports, but obviously around the country. 
Rooney and Adam Silver was with me, the commissioner of the NBA, on the anniversary of the day that he did all of that. And in so many ways, for so many of us, the pandemic started to feel like a real thing. And I have so many other things I want to ask you today that I'll I'll just ask you one more quickly about this. And that is, it's been such a, a, a complicated year for all of us. But there have been, along with all of the horror and all of the sadness and all of the difficulties, there have obviously been wonderful and rewarding things. So as you look back on this year, what would you say has been the most rewarding part of it for you? Well, one of the most rewarding things for me is in the middle of all this, uh, my wife and I had another baby. Oh. <laughs> so we, we had a new daughter in the middle of all this. So that's clearly top of my list. But I would say from a larger standpoint, there's been a coming together of the league. Uh, um, you know, of course, the the, the teams are, are killer competitors on the floor, but they're all partners in the overall enterprise and same, you know, together with the players. And I'd say, you know, we, we to me, we had a very good relationship with Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the Players Association. I mentioned Chris Paul before and, and the players generally going into the pandemic. But what, you know, what was sort of to me, heartwarming in many ways is that the community really came together once we had shut down. I mean, we quickly turned to what it would mean to restart. You know, as I've said before, it's 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 fairly straightforward to decide to shut down. The really complicated part is can you find a safe and healthy way to continue? And I think, you know, you know a few weeks after we shut down and had an opportunity to better understand what was happening, um, that was the first time this this so-called bubble concept was introduced, and which which ultimately, obviously, we we moved to in Orlando and restarted the season with 22 teams. But it required enormous comprom- you know, enormous sacrifice and compromises from everyone. Obviously, the players agreeing to live on that campus for those teams that that went to the finals. It was a full three months, largely away from their families. You know, and friends, we needed the teams to agree to modified formats to finish the regular season. We needed financial investments um, from the teams in order to pull this off. A great partnership at Disney and their willingness to do it. And, and I think you, in many ways we saw the best of people during the most difficult of times. And I think that's continued, you know, largely into this season. Of course, it doesn't mean that everyone agrees with everything that we do even within the NBA community. But I think largely it's been a coming together, you know, of, of everyone who's involved in operating NBA basketball. And, and I'm particularly proud of the fact that collectively we have, we have found a way, a health, healthy and safe way to continue operating an appropriate balance of, you know, the, 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 the health of everyone involved and, and the economics, frankly, and I haven't shied away from that. I mean, that there's an economic crisis in this country as well. And it's, it's absolutely meaningful, not just for the players and the coaches to have that ability to work, but there are thousands and thousands of jobs that are dependent on the NBA's ability to operate. Adam Silver is with me here. And so, again, the one-year anniversary of all of that. I have a limited time here, so let me get a, a couple of things in quickly if I can. We've been talking here a little bit about um, as far as the, the way the game itself is played and the proliferation of three-point shots as a result of analytics and, and the concern that some people have that that is becoming too prominent. Daryl Morey, of all people, who sort of began this revolution, has voiced that. I just wonder what, if any, conversations have been had relative to that and whether it is, it is viewed as something that is a concern. It's, it, it, I wouldn't say it rises to the level of a concern. I mean, I, I actually am, am, am really enjoying the game aesthetically right now. I've been a lifelong fan. I've been with the league for over 30 years, and, and I think we're, we're seeing some incredible basketball. Having said that, 
Um, we're constantly looking at tinkering at the game. We've moved the three-point line. As you recall, we moved it in once, then we moved it back out, then we moved it to a slightly different place on the floor. I think as the as the caliber of the shooting has gotten better, I mean, you know, you know, Bob Cousy said to me last year, you know, of all people, like he said, fans today don't understand the skill level of these players, what they're doing by shooting from that length on the floor with the kind of accuracy they do. Having said that, you want a diverse game. And and I think you recall, Mike, my early days in the league, everyone used to complain there was too much dunking mm-hmm. and that and that we had a lot of, you know, a lot of great athletes in the league, but they weren't skilled in the way that you see a lot of these players now. So are we at the right balance? I'm sure there may be some adjustments we, we can make. I mean, I think, again, there's there's so much great about the game right now, but the three-point line in particular is something we'll continue to look at. Okay, yeah, that's something we've talked about here, and, and perhaps at a later time when we have more time, we can do a little bit more in-depth. One more thing quickly, uh, Commissioner, before I let you go again, Adam Silver is with me. I saw that literally moments before you came on the air with me, you released a statement and made an announcement relative to the NBA investigation into the anti-Semitic slur that Myers Leonard of the Heat uttered during a recent video game that was live streamed. I'm sure many people have not seen that. Could you, uh, if you would, just share what decisions the league has reached and and the thoughts that you shared? Um, Absolutely. So Myers Leonard said something that was picked up on Twitch while he was engaged in an um, online video game and and somebody recorded it and put it out on social media. And, and I will only say that as part of our investigation, of course, we interview the player and, and the, the fact that or not as to whether a player is contrite and remorseful is an important factor for the league. I think in this case, Myers was incredibly um, remorseful. In fact, he's already met with the Anti-Defamation League. He did that yesterday. He's going to be, he, you know, it's not even something that, that we had to mandate because he volunteered it, that he would um, in, participate in um, some sort of um, diversity um, program so he better understood these issues. I think he clearly, I, I accept his word that he didn't understand the import of what he was saying and 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 he's paying a price for it and as we announced that he's being fined fifty thousand dollars which happens to be my the limit of my authority for an act like that but he's he people may know he's injured he got injured early this season so he's out right now so it obviously isn't all that meaningful to suspend him from a game right now so we made a decision to in essence suspend him from engaging in team activities or being at the practice facility um for a week and then so and then plus he's going to agree to the training so um i i think that's appropriate in this case i do think he's absolutely genuinely remorseful it's something you you never want to see in professional sports or or anywhere in society and i think it's important that when these incidents do happen we talk about them and we talk about how um, hurtful those kinds of words can be for people in our society adam silver i I am i'm out of time i know i need to let you go thank you very much for sharing all of these thoughts i have a million other things we can talk about the next time we see each other but uh, again on the one-year anniversary it has been a remarkable year, and I appreciate you taking the time today to share these thoughts. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, Mike, and happy birthday to Stacy. Oh, you are too much. Thank you very much. I don't know. <laughs> he is too much. Adam Silver with me here on the Goodyear Hotline. Goodyear helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. I've said many times, I, I, I don't make any secret of the fact that I like him very much, and um, and I don't know him socially. I don't mean to say it that way. I just think he has... He is an extremely good way of um, acknowledging that there are two sides to things. So, for example, one of the mistakes that I think people make frequently when they are in positions of authority is if you ask them a question, 
with which they disagree, or you present something with which they disagree, they just stubbornly and obstinately just sort of shut you down. And what I think he has a very good way of doing is saying, look, I see what you're saying. I see the other side of that. Here's how I view it. And, but here's what I hear what you're saying, and we can talk about it, and maybe we'll change our minds. I think it's a very – I've actually learned that from him. I, I, from following the way he has gone about his business, I, I actually have – picked up on that. So I had a million other things I wanted to get to there, but we had a, a limitation on how much time we could do it. And, and so there'll be other stuff that we can get to. I wanted to ask him about the logo, and, and, uh, but other people will ask him. Um, and of course, we wanted to hear about the, 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 the business with Myers Leonard, which I did not know he was going to. Um, he put out literally that statement uh, and, and, and made the announcement that he just described here it had to be three minutes before we came in on the, the air. It was in, yeah, it was in the commercial break before we came on, which we hadn't seen. And so, um, you know, a lot of people have been asking my opinion about that. I really like the way Adam Silver handled that. Um, it is my opinion that these are the best teachable moments that we have. Um, the word that was used by Myers Leonard on this live stream, for those who have not seen it, it's not a word I'm going to say on the air, but I can say that it rhymes with my name. And if I had a dollar for every time over the many, many years that I hosted a show called Mike and Mike, that that letter was juxtaposed by people in messages to me uh, of all sorts before and during the social media era, um, I would have an uncountable amount of money. And I, I recognize that that is a part of the world that, that, we, that, that is uh, horrible. It's despicable. It's inexcusable is the word that Adam used, and I agree with it. But um, there are times when I find myself feeling like I just can't do anything about it. And, and for my own mental well-being, for my own psychological well-being, I do my best to ignore it. I just, I just don't, I don't give it any attention I, because I, I find that it is only going to upset me further. And there isn't really anything I can do about some anonymous person saying some despicable thing. Uh, in this case, obviously, Myers Leonard is anything but anonymous. I, too, now I don't know him. I saw what Julian Edelman posted, and I really liked it. I thought that was a perfect way of handling this. Um, I don't know Myers Leonard, and, and until you actually talk to a person and they look you eye to eye, I, I don't know that you can say anything with certainty, but Adam said that he has spoken to him. I did believe when he said he genuinely didn't know what that meant. He genuinely did not realize the magnitude of what he was saying and that he is genuinely sorry. And I think that those two things, when combined, I think that there is that immediately now becomes an opportunity, as far as I see it, to turn this into a teachable moment, to turn this into something from which we can learn and grow. It could wind up being, in the big picture, a very good thing that that happened. I don't think he was trying to utter an anti-Semitic slur. I think he was saying something that he did not understand the weight of or the magnitude of. And that, that's what Julian Edelman said, and I agree. And in some ways, that can be worse because you don't even realize you're hurting tons of people. You don't even realize that you've just done something terrible. You don't realize how many people out there who do know what it means take it from what you just said as a signal that it's okay. I don't think he knew that. And that is why I'm willing to accept his apology. Not that it makes any difference whether I am or not, but I accept his apology. And I think that there is a there has to be some consequence, and and the NBA has has made it clear there is significant consequence. Uh, and then there is learning, and I think that we go on. And so I think that was very well handled by the NBA. Again, that they don't they don't need me to um, 
They don't need me to validate their decisions, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think that was well handled. And um, I think that hopefully a lot of people who didn't even had never heard that word or don't know what it means, and hopefully it's a word that you will not hear in any other context any other time soon, but maybe you'll learn a little bit about it and, and will be sensitive to it. So those are my thoughts on that. Again, my appreciation to Adam Silver for taking the time today. I appreciate it. I thank you for hanging out with me here today. Again, there's so much other stuff in sports that I want to get to, but it is, it is a day to think about where we've been for a year. And we'll be back in Better Than Ever tomorrow. ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.